Let's go! From the four corners of the globe, welcome to the Park Chat Theme Park Podcast. Join us as we dive deep into a world of fun and adventure to discover what Australia's theme parks are all about. G'day everyone and welcome to another episode of Park Chat. This is episode number two and I'm joined with Blake and Matt. Hey guys, how you going? Yeah, good. Hello, Ash. You don't want to say hello to Blake? Hello, Blake. Hello, Matt. Well, Blake and I are on this side of the room. You're on that side of the room. Ah, in the virtual room that is Zoom. Are you excited about the topics tonight, guys? We've got so much to cover. So much to cover, so little time. Even though technically we could just talk as long as we wanted to. We wouldn't do that to poor Blake. (laughs) I feel like an hour after an hour, everyone's like, no, I've had enough now. So I think that's, I mean, technically we we could do whatever we want. But yeah, I think hour should be our our target. But I guess the listeners out there, if they want more, what are they going to do, Blake? Well, they can give us a comment when this episode goes up on social media. And if they say, hey, we want longer episodes or we want shorter episodes, you know, we're always open to feedback from our listeners. Also happy to hear people say they want to boot Ash off the show. Oh, thanks, guys. <laughs> I don't even know how to come back from that one. Anyway, quick bits. What's quick bits, Matt? Tell us a little bit more about the new segment we're doing. Quick bits. It's all the news that happened in the last month in one or two minutes, because by the time you're hearing it, it's probably three weeks out of date. I just want to make a mention that in the run sheet, I wrote jingle, but I actually wrote jungle. You <laughs> did So... <laughs> so Let's just get some wildlife sounds. <laughs> I saw that too. I was just thinking, do you want old school drum and bass? Yeah. All that. <laughs> I reckon that's a good idea. All right. <laughs> I'm sure you'll edit something in. <laughs> you know, when I eventually get around to making music for this, I'm going to make the jingle for this like a jungle drum and bass little snippet thing. <laughs> yes, please. Anyway, <laughs> Leviathan started testing. Did you guys see the video? We did. We did see the video, didn't we, uh, Blake? Yes. I think, uh, I can't remember. It was either one of you guys that sent me the post that Bakash put on, was it his Instagram? I think it was. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was his Instagram. Yeah. Calling it the world's best wooden roller coaster when we live in a oh. world where there's T-Express, Wildfire. Scenic Railway. The Voyage. I was going to say El Toro, but that's kind of down for the count right now. <laughs> Blake, I, I wish you wouldn't rub that in. I'm finally, for those that don't know, going over to Six Flags Great Adventure in a couple of months to ride the bloody thing, and it's shut. I am not happy, Jan. <laughs> you should complain. Anyway, <laughs> DC Rivals Valley. Is that the first time it valleyed? That's definitely the first time that I think anyone's aware that it's valleyed. Yeah, I've never heard of it doing this before and it seems bizarre that you know after five years of operation this happens out of the blue it's very peculiar i mean i know when they when the ride first opened there was remember they had to close it down because there was rumors of the ride sinking into the ground or something and they had to reprofile the track or did you guys ever hear about that yeah, I remember they removed a section. I, I can't remember. It didn't have anything to do with the trim brakes, did it? They they were always there? I believe the trims were always there. I don't know. I'm probably It's five years ago. All I know is that it's definitely not pink. That was my main takeaway from the construction period of DC Rivals. It's fuchsia. Fuchsia. It's not even a fuchsia anymore. Half of it's faded and the other half is purple. <laughs> Good point. 
I want to know, would you, as in I'm talking to the listeners now, would you prefer a rollback or a valley? Because everyone wants a rollback. No one ever mentions a valley. So I'm, I'm guessing no one wants to be on a coaster when it valleys, maybe? Let us know. Well, I feel like they're pretty rare occurrences, especially with, you know, modern engineering standards and computer-assisted designs of roller coasters now. I feel like it's become much more of a rarity where a coaster is designed in such a way that it has the potential to valley quite regularly. Yeah. 100%. It's definitely not something that I see very often, even around the world, because I have seen posts when something gets valleyed and, yeah, you don't see it very often. But I can't remember what coaster it was, but I remember there was a coaster in the US or is a coaster in the US that has a bit of a reputation for it. I just can't remember what it is. So if there's any listeners out there, let us know what coaster I'm thinking of. It was in the US somewhere. I was just going to say the only one that I can think off the top of my head that has a reputation for valleying is the big one at Blackpool Pleasure Beach. And that's purely because it's right next to the ocean. And when you get like a big gust of wind, sometimes that's enough just to stall the train up um, as it's going up that first airtime hill. Yeah, right. I'm trying to Google it, but I can't find which one. Anywho, yes. So let us know, listeners, if you'd prefer to be on a valley or a rollback. I'd love to know. Why would you want to be in a valley? <laughs> but that wasn't the only incident that happened with a roller coaster at Movie World this past month, was it? On the exact same day, mind you. Yeah, that's kind of spooky, isn't it? Yeah. What are the chances of that happening? And for those who don't know what we're referring to, there was an accident on the Scooby-Doo Spooky Coaster where some, I believe someone's piece of clothing, like a, was it like a jacket, got stuck, in, like caught in the wheel assembly? Is that right? Yeah, that's what we've heard about piece of clothing that was referred to, but the only thing that makes sense is a jumper. Well, that was what, what was mentioned on Parks anyway, the Parks forums. I don't know if the Park ever confirmed that. The Park said it was some sort of rider behaviour. A minor incurrence or something. Yeah, but they blamed a rider for it. Oh, did they? S- okay. Well, it's interesting because you are allowed to bring loose articles on Scooby-Doo Coaster. Like, there's been many times where I've brought bags onto the ride. And what was the rider doing? Were they, like, waving it over their head like a lasso? Or was it just hanging it off the side? Maybe they were really enjoying the ride. I guess so. They they can't get enough of that projection mapping. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe they're trying to cover it up. They're trying to put the shirt over their face just to cover up everything. And was like, oops, and fell on the track. Oh, I thought you were going to say they were trying to throw the item of clothing, whatever it was, on top of the projector. So Hey, that works stop- too. Yeah, yeah. So, it would actually stop projecting. <laughs> we don't endorse this, by the way. We don't endorse this whatsoever unless it's Justice League. Maybe that's why Justice League, you went through and it was all just none of the projectors were working. People had previously been throwing stuff items it. of clothing. <laughs> oh, that ride was a mess when we went last went on it. Like, half the effects weren't working. I swear the gun wasn't working half the time. I don't know. That could just be me being very terrible at that ride, like, shooting. I definitely agree with you because when I went on there with my friends, we had a wager of who had the lowest points had to buy dinner. And I think it was rigged. I didn't want to buy dinner that night. So, you had to buy dinner? Ah, oh, I blame the uh, the ride. Oh, did you seriously get out of it? Based, <laughs> like, blame the ride? No, no, I still had to buy. Ah, uh, what'd you have for dinner? Um, I don't, I can't remember. It's probably something cheap, wasn't it? Probably nothing. <laughs> went across the highway to Macca's. Yeah. Guys, I'm actually not hungry tonight. Let's uh, let's just not eat. 
Very disappointed in you. Very disappointed. You can't back out of bets just because of technical malfunction. I don't know. I think you can. Anyway. Also, the park's official wording uh, was a minor guest behavior incident. So, they're kind of throwing that back on the on the guest, aren't they? They are. I reckon they were lassoing. So, we don't know for sure if it was an item of clothing then. There was nothing that was actually stipulated. That's what caused the ride to stop. Maybe someone threw a banana on the track and it was like, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was way more funny than you guys <laughs> Well, to be honest, they haven't said what it was But I could imagine that's the only possibility If the ride stopped outside of a normal unloading spot Being like the, the emergency brakes I dare say that it was stopped because something had stopped it Well, it could be the rider was trying to film the ride on their phone That happens a lot these days Where rides will just be uh, e-stopped and, you know, you'll see the ride attendant walk up the lift hill and then they'll tell the rider to give them their phone. Yeah, but I'm pretty sure the whole point was that it stopped in an area not with a catwalk. Like, it wasn't a block section. It was just stuck. Oh, okay. Unless it was the lift. That's the only other thing I can think of. It'd be pretty fun stopping on the lift. Or someone next to you is lassoing and they stop themselves on the track because of the lasso. That would be the other like thing that could happen. Yeah. That's true. Maybe the weather inside the shed caused a valley. That's that's another possibility. A gust of wind came through the emergency exit door. 100%. The big spider. It was the big spider. <laughs> Maybe it was. Maybe it <laughs> threw a web on the train and stopped it like out of a Spider-Man movie. Or Just Cause if you've played that game. But I feel like we're getting a little bit off topic here. Isn't this the type of episode you wanted? True. True. Keep going. <laughs> Well, before we start the, the first segment, we were going to talk about uh, your trip down to Luna Park, Sydney and trying out the Big Dipper. Yes. So, a couple of weeks ago now, I went to Luna Park, Sydney for the first time in a few years and I did the Big Dipper among all the other additions and I was a little bit disappointed, guys. I, I did not think the Big Dipper was going to be as tame as it was. It wasn't bad, especially like in the in the front, I think it was better, but it definitely wasn't the RMC mini, you know, single rail coast that I was expecting. It, it, uh, it I felt like they didn't capitalize very well on the forces. It definitely wasn't up there in terms of the coasters that I had ridden, but the gyro swing was awesome. It's like the claw, but goes 360. So that was definitely the highlight of the evening. Is it the same kind of ride that uh, Aussie World uh, built? The gyro swing? Yeah, because that's a full 360 swing as well. Yeah, true. Look, I must admit I'm not up on my flat ride manufacturers and I could probably, well, I could uh, confirm it via a Google search, but no, I believe the the one at, at all right, let me just get a Google search up because otherwise... No, 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 you make your bet and we'll all search it. Up. Okay, all right, I'll make my bet. I believe it is even though the the like the supports isn't Oh no, they were concreted in actually. So yes, I believe it's pretty much exactly the same as Dreamworld's Claw, whereas the one at Aussie World I feel like is more similar to the Fun Fairs one, which is a, a more traveling edition. I don't know if it's Zemperla because I believe the Claw and the one at Aussie World are going to be Intamin. So you guys are welcome to correct me on that. I'm happy to admit if I'm wrong. Uh, the Claw is an Intamin gyro swing. The one at Aussie World, I don't know the manufacturer, but it definitely is a traveling fair 
version of that attraction, I believe. They have obviously made it a permanent installation, like it's got proper concrete footers and all that. But I believe it could be used as a fairground ride as well, like a traveling fairground ride. While you're looking that up, you didn't really mention much about the Big Dipper outside of it wasn't as intense as you thought it was going to be. I've also heard other things about it has a bit of a rattle. It did. And the theory is that the trains are, are too light. They made the trains way too light. And so when it's flying through the track, it's just it just kind of rattles you around a little bit, especially in the back. Yeah, I will agree it had a bit of a rattle in the back. I wouldn't say it was uncomfortable but it was noticeable at least from a you know roller coaster enthusiast point of view it's been a few weeks now so i must admit some of the smaller details are starting to fade but no i did take away thinking there was a rattle the weight i couldn't tell you but yes it was definitely worse in the back than the front and you know it was there i won't i won't lie Mm. do you think uh, this will affect the future of the intimate hot racer model do you think other theme parks will be keen to take a gamble on this new ride concept from Interman off the back of uh, Big Dipper's success? Sure. Uh, so let's say I was Mr. CEO of Theme Park and I went there to try it for my theme park. Or Mrs. CEO. Or Miss, Ms. or Mrs. CEO, of course, absolutely. Non-binary. Yeah, there's... Yep, there's a lot of different <laughs> titles as CEO of any type. Uh, but yes, if I was going there and trying it, I would have to know the context whether or not it's cheaper or not because if it's not cheaper, then no, I wouldn't agree. It would be a very good addition purely for the capacity. The capacity is awful. It is, you know, as you can imagine, it's it's single abreast. So one person per row. I think there was eight or nine from memory. So just off the bat, it was bad capacity-wise. I think I waited close to an hour and a half. I mean, they didn't do a terrible job at load, but... It wasn't amazing. And considering that it was, you know, nine guests at a time, it felt obviously very slow in in the line. The ride point of view, I think if they work hard at the forces, I feel like they could maximize the forces when you're going upside down, when you're going through the loops, when you're turning all of that. It just felt a bit flat, no pun intended. So... Yes, I think it has potential. It was comfortable, the restraints. There was a little bit of a rattle, but perhaps that's something that they can work on. But yeah, between capacity, especially one train operation and the forces, there's a little bit that they can work on. I guess capacity, they can't do too much. They just have to have multiple trains. So if it was more expensive or similar price to, you know, like a wild mouse or a some sort of Gerstlauer coaster, I would probably go that way. But if it's cheaper and I could add a roller coaster every year, like the Six Flags of yesteryear, which we'll talk about, then perhaps it, it wouldn't be a bad idea because it is intimidating, gets people through the gate. Again, Six Flags of yesteryear business model, isn't it, Blake? Mm. Well, it's interesting that you address the capacity issue because that hasn't seemed to have slowed down the rollout of the RMC Raptor, which obviously started the whole single rail roller coaster concept i mean obviously they have had capacity issues and they have done means to address that with the larger parks like with the larger installments with jersey devil at great adventure as well as wonder woman at six flags magic mountain because they have longer trains but i think uh the rmc raptors they have what they i think they call a a moving block section so 
when the train's in the station, it doesn't actually stop. It actually just keeps moving at a snail's pace while the train loads and unloads. So I don't know if that improves capacity and maybe that's something that the the Big Dipper, like the Innsman Hot Racer version, needs to implement if it doesn't do that already. Can I ask a question that could expose me? But given we've got parks at the moment, Movie World's an excellent example where capacity is a huge issue for them. They need rides that can take mass amounts of people to take pressure off the other rides. Why would a park opt to put in a single rail coaster that's going to only give them half the capacity to what a normal roller coaster would? What's the benefit of a single rail coaster? Cost. I, th- I, I can only imagine cost, really. Cost, and I think there's a novelty factor to it as well. Especially with the initial prototype RMC Raptors, you know, uh, Wonder Woman and Railblazer, they were very successful uh, because they were just crazy intense. Because it was a prototype attraction, they didn't know how forceful it was going to be. And I think that's what's made it such a draw for those parks. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree that I feel like it's almost like the cheap TV got more features at a lower price especially from a marketing point of view like it's got this 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 so i I don't know if that's where you're coming from i don't know if that's exactly what you're you're meaning but that's how i sort of interpret it and yes i I, that's what i think the the main sort of features are it's got you know look at all these loops and it's got this many airtime hills and all that but obviously there's the drawbacks which is that it's very low capacity The whole theme park industry for decades has been propagated off of novelty and gimmicks. And the single rail concept, not only was it a a cost-effective way to build a coaster, given that the price of steel and pretty much everything else has been going through the roof, it also has that novelty. Like, not many people can say that they've ridden a single rail coaster of that caliber, at least. Like, I know single rail concept has been around for many, many years. Uh, You just have to look at rides like Steeplechase, again, at Blackpool Pleasure Beach. That's been around for decades. But a single rail coaster that does what the Raptor does has never been done before. And I think that's what gives it its appeal. Let me ask you, I want to direct this question to Matt, and I know time is running away from us, so I won't take too long. As the least theme park slash coaster enthusiast out of the three of us, I hope that's not offensive. I hope that's... Wowie. Yeah. Does the idea of a single rail coaster excite you? Like Blake's talking it up that, hey, it's single rail, blah, 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 blah. Do you care? Like, is that something you would care about, especially a couple of years ago before you were super into theme parks? I'm going to start off by challenging who here is the most into theme parks by saying that SX360 is made by Technical Park. Have you heard of that manufacturer before, Ash? Uh, I didn't think you had. No, I actually had. They're based in Italy, aren't they? Oh, damn it. Well, I can't. Re- okay, no, no, no. I can't claim uh, but- <laughs> that one because I can't. I couldn't remember who it was. But I'm pretty sure I. Ha- it does sound familiar because I remember thinking it was a very weird name. It wasn't a super... English name. So, they're based in Italy, right? Uh, I don't know. I didn't look that far, but... <laughs> oh, well, gosh. If you've got to correct someone, you should know where it's from. <laughs> Let's go back to the question at hand. Um, Speaking of someone who doesn't follow as much as theme parks as we do, Matt, yeah. single rail coasters, do they excite you? I personally, I don't see the appeal in them. I think that the line's going to be longer, but the main thing is... When I go to a park, I want to go with someone and I want to sit next to someone. I find a ride is more enjoyable when I'm sitting next to someone rather than when I'm sitting on my own. So, I think the single rail aspect of it, even if you're riding with friends, it just puts you on your own and it's not as fun. 
but that's my opinion. So you actually think it's a detractor. So I'm saying like, do you even care? But you do care. You just don't like them basically. Uh, look, I wouldn't be upset if a park put one in, like I'd go ride it, but it's not something like Big Dip has been open for how long now? And I've had no itch to go down to Luna Park to try it, but I'll be going to SeaWorld to try Leviathan when it opens. Jeez. Okay. Wow. Tough crowd. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no hate to Luna Park at all. Well, what if someone built the RMC T-Rex, which is meant to be the Raptor, but you have two abreast seating? I think, yeah, having two side by side, at least having someone next to you makes it more fun. That's my opinion. I mean, everyone has their own opinion on, on what they enjoy with rides. Obviously, the elements are fun, but I personally find a ride is more fun when I'm sitting next to someone that I know and we're screaming and laughing and doing all that. If you're by your own, it's sort of like awkward almost. Bit antisocial. Yeah. I just want to ride roller coasters. <laughs> <laughs> So, speaking of, and actually, I think this is a good segue because the next segment, I don't go to this place by myself. I am far too scared. And that is Fright Nights at Movie World. Not going here alone. Thought you were going to say the toilet. How am I going to go to the toilet? Well, that's a good point. I uh, No, I mean, you're too scared to go to the toilet alone. Ah, well, that's, that's true. But I, I managed to, <laughs> I don't know where we're going with this. <laughs> Anyway, back to what you were saying, Fright Nights. Um, so, have you guys had a chance to go through all of the announcements from this year's Fright Nights? Well, I've seen that on the website that they've finally announced all five of the mazes. And there doesn't seem to be any other extra bells and whistles that they're trying to do this time around. Like, there's no Ultimate Territory. There's no Laser Tag, I think they did one year. They're very much going back to basics. But they do have... Five mazes, three are returning, and two are new, although I would argue one of them is kind of a semi-rehash, uh, which would be the Conjuring Universe, because they did technically do a Conjuring maze back in 2016 and 2017. Yeah, they did. I guess for our listeners that haven't heard all of the additions and, and things like that, maybe I should quickly run through what we're actually going to get this year. So, five mazes... Three returning, two new. The two new mazes being Death Row, a, a movie world generic maze. Is that a movie world created theme, I guess you would say? And yes, the Conjuring Universe. And of course, the returning mazes, which is the It Maze, Zombieland, Double Tap Maze, and Dollhouse, which was another movie world generic themed created maze. What do you think of the executives being in at least the promotional photos of Death Row? Cost cutting at its worst. No, I think it's fine. I think it's a good way to include them. Do you reckon that's one of the CEOs or one of the executives in the it face? You reckon? Perhaps. Nah, surely not. Now, the biggest takeaway for me is that the event is open till 11pm this year. So, last year was 10pm, but this year is 11pm. So, Ryan's still 10 Mazes until 11 p.m., which is pretty good. We're getting close to midnight. That's that's getting up there because it's not a cheap event. And when you say last year, you mean 2019. Sorry, you're right, Blake. 2019. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Three years ago. <laughs> Just a small little mistake, yes. Three, not one. So, yes, back in 2019, that was the closing time. We, of course, had five mazes that year as well. And as Blake said, we had the Ultimate Terror Tour, which we don't have this year. But we do have five precincts returning. 
they technically five returning, but five new themes and four panic rooms. One of which actually, I actually kind of want to do it. It's the uh, murder in the morgue panic room. Again, I wouldn't do this by myself. Well, they're not really designed to be done just by yourself. I mean, the price alone pretty much warrants you to have at least a group of four to do it. And I think it is a maximum of four people in the room. Is that right? Good question, Blake. Let me have a quick look here. What the maximum is. Six. Ah, Six six. players and a minimum of two, which is interesting. I I guess there's probably some things inside the panic room that they're like, so-and-so do this, so-and-so do that. And is someone in the room? Like, is there a staff member that, like, sneaks in? I I thought I heard rumors of that, and that kind of really freaked me out. I've never personally done an escape room that has live actors, but I do know that they exist. In general or in the panic room? In general. So, is it... It's 125. Is that per room or per person? Per room. Okay, that's not bad then. Yeah, if you have six people, that's not bad. But, I mean, how much is a normal panic room? Uh, they're usually around the 50, 60-ish, aren't they? They're not cheap. But also keep in mind that if you go to a dedicated escape room venue like Padlocked, you usually get like an hour-long experience, whereas this is limited to just 20 minutes. Oh, oh wow. okay. So, 20 minutes isn't long at all. And considering the size, I mean, I've done some panic rooms that you've gone into a few other rooms. I mean, these are, what, a 20-foot container? I mean, there's, I guess there's some size there to do a little bit with, but you'd kind of know which way you're headed because you have to, you know, it's it's obviously so wide and then longer. So you kind of know which direction the room's going to open in. But perhaps they managed to make it worse, work rather. Padlocked is $45 per person. Oh, so it's actually better value at Movie World, maybe if you ignore the time restraint. Yeah. Very interesting. What do you guys think of the fact that they're doing another generic IP and then also they're bringing back, again, what Blake said, a bit of a rehashed theme that's been done before? Do you guys... Are you excited? Like, are you thinking that they've done a good job with that? Or considering there were so many years without Fright Nights, they could have done better maybe? I'm not going to lie. And this is just coming from my own personal experience anyway. I feel like I got a little burnt out with Fright Nights pre-pandemic. I just feel like the last couple of experiences that I had weren't the greatest. You know, it was very crowded. Uh, So, unless you pay for Fast Track... You're not going to have a good time because they do pack the park. They do get it to capacity, which I think is around about 10,000 people. And the likelihood of you being able to do all five mazes in a single night is pretty much nay impossible without fast track. And the one time that I, or the last time that I should say rather, that I really truly enjoyed myself at Fright Nights was in 2016 when we did the Ultimate Terror Tour because we were able to do everything. We had the fast track. And on top of that, we also got the extra experience that was exclusive to the tour, as well as like a private dining area and just retreat. So you could just get away to a quiet spot just for like five or 10 minutes. And they're not bringing that back. They're not even giving it as an option. Yeah, I think in that respect, it's definitely a disappointment that it's not available, but I don't know whether staff 
maybe staffing played a bit of a, a role in that? I could be wrong, but I dare say that like MovieBot's obviously going to have relationships with casting agencies and they're probably going to have people who would throw their hands up at the opportunity to come into MovieBot for two weeks and do an event. I don't feel like maybe hospitality staff, but I don't feel like the actors and anything they, they'd struggle with. That's a good point. I, I think Matt's got a good point there that, yeah, actors, it's like flight attendants. You can always find people wanting to do it. Maybe the training, maybe the, the lead up. That's the only thing I can think of, the ramp up. But again, they're used to doing that every year, hiring a ton of people that previously didn't work at the park. So, yeah, that's a good point. It could also be because it has been three years since the last Fright Nights. And even though we're well and truly past the pandemic. I'm not saying that COVID has just disappeared and gone away, not in the slightest. I still think there's a lot of people in the wider community that are still very precautious about it. So maybe this is just Movie World's way of just kind of testing the waters to see if it's still a commercially viable thing before they go all out and offer all these new upcharges like Ultimate Territory again before they know the event is actually going to draw the same numbers that it did pre-pandemic. That's a good point. Yeah, 100%. I think also they, they don't want to bite up more than they can chew. I mean, they haven't done this in a number of years. Plus, they're probably still trying to save costs in some respects. So, you know, they're probably wanting to go back to basics. And hey, we've been complaining about certain things, like, for example, the maze quality, or maybe more the size. So... If that's rectified this year, I, I will fully support some of the cutbacks, i.e. The, the tours. But if other things don't improve, then yes, I, I do think it, it's, it's a big disappointment. Did you want me to go through the pricing? Because I feel like that's probably another big change from this year and one that some people may get caught off guard with. So general entry is actually $79. Now, I'm going to quote all these prices the from because I, I can't go through every single date. But if I go to the most expensive evening, I believe it is the $99 online price or the gate price of $119, which is very significant for what, a uh, six-hour event? Sorry, no, a five-hour event. It's quite a bit. Season pass, however, is $499. So that is definitely a steep increase up from last year. If you don't want to wait for any of the mazes, it's $119 per person. And if you want mazes and rides, it's $149. The Panic Rooms has mentioned $125 each. And they've got a bit of a weird experience. Realscape in association with Darkfield presents flight. The only thing I can imagine is some sort of interactive experience, perhaps a little bit like the Darren Brown ghost train at Thorpe Park. That's $25 per person. So that's pretty much everything when it comes to Fright Night's pricing, unless you want to, of course, go into some of the meal deals, which is nothing too exciting. Definitely uh, not anything close to what you'd get with the Ultimate Terror Tour inclusions. What do you think, guys? Is that a bit too expensive for you, or do you think it's money well spent? I think it's definitely getting towards um, too expensive now. I mean, it's pretty hard to justify... $80 for admission. And that's if you pay online. If you pay at the gate, as you said, it's it starts at basically $100. You're pretty much paying for a full day ticket. 
And then on top of that, as I said before, you'd be very, very hard pressed to get a full experience without paying for at least the fast track for the mazes, which is $119. So if you were to go on the cheapest night and buy your ticket online, plus get fast track just for the mazes, that's already $200. And that's not including any of the other stuff, like no panic rooms, either of the real scape experiences, because there's a second one too. There's the seance one, but, um, you're pretty much starting at $200 if you want to get any decent experience. Like if you want to experience the mazes, like you don't care about night rides and you just want to do what Fright Nights is about, which is the scare mazes. Yeah, you're pretty much looking at minimum $200. And I'm interested to hear what Matt has to think about this because Ash and I, we live in Queensland, but Matt lives in Victoria. So... Is this something that you think would justify you flying up or driving up to Queensland to experience this? Personally, no. I do really want to do a night event at the parks and I really want to do a night ride. But as you've outlined, the cheapest night, you're already looking at $200. Factor in flights, accommodation, obviously you're going to be buying food and all of that. You're looking well towards six, $700 just to go to a night event. I, I know we discussed it in a previous... I shouldn't say episode because it didn't get released. This is a bit of a retake, but they really should have some kind of bundles for Fright Nights, you know, uh, theme it like the Halloween weekend getaway or something, even especially if they played it in with the farm stay next door. I think they could do something really cool there with the whole horror theme in the uh, in the bush. But yeah, definitely for interstate crowds, it most certainly is not good value. And I guess that is subjective. But yes, I think considering the additional costs of hotels and flights at the moment, which is very expensive, they're not winning any friends that way. And if you want to book any of the nights now, which is not that far away, none of them are sold out. So perhaps that's also a bit of a tell as to what the local crowd think of the pricing. Well, back to what you were saying about some sort of a getaway pass. I mean, they've got spooky nights as well at SeaWorld. I think it'd be pretty good if you're offering like SeaWorld accommodation plus entry to the parks, plus entry to spooky nights and, you know, fright nights. They don't seem to be doing bundles, but I think that something they could do to attract interstate visitors is some sort of a bundle deal. I think they could do a lot more with that. Agreed. I could definitely see them doing a bundle with Spooky Nights because SeaWorld does have the on-site accommodation. And also considering that Spooky Nights is a more family-oriented event that's pretty much there to compete with DreamWorld's Halloween event, which is also very family-oriented, Fright Nights is aimed at an older demographic. So it's a hard sell. I think it's definitely a hard sell. For, for interstate, it's a hard sell. Even for locals, I think who's going to want to spend that extra money when you could just go to the park during the day. It would be interesting. I know Universal did it with one of their mazes, which I think was more of a permanent addition at one point. So it may not have been purely a seasonal maze in any way, but anywho, they offered a permanent maze that you could go through during the day. There was no actors from memory in there. I wonder if it's something Movie World could do, at least from a bit of a preview perspective as to what's to come at Fright Nights. Wouldn't be a bad idea Perhaps. Maybe there's logistical reasons why they couldn't. But I think only time will tell if it's worth it for that cost. I'm really glad that you brought that up because I always remember when I went to Universal Hollywood 
and this is back in 2012 and they did have that scare maze there you and you didn't go in groups you know you didn't you didn't have to keep your hands on the shoulders and the person in front of you you just walked in i went in by myself absolutely destroyed me i was so terrified in that i think the fact that i went through by myself made it so much scarier and there were live actors in that too so i don't know if it's still there or not but that was excellent i believe it's the walking dead now Ah, okay so i believe the walking dead which it look it may not be there that maybe the pets i feel like it's now the pets ride uh i'm gonna actually google that right now walking dead universal but uh, i believe that was a ride by sally corp i actually think they did some animatronics for that but yes, it did close down and it is now the animal pets attraction at uh, Universal Hollywood, which I've done and thoroughly enjoyed. Well, with that being said, how do we think that Fright Nights stacks up to the international based events like Universal Horror Nights or even other parks like Not Scary Farm gets a really, really good rap? I mean, I think it's probably a bit unfair to compare fright nights to an american-based halloween event because they've been doing it for much much longer and it's much more popular thing in the united states than it is here although it has grown in popularity over the years but when you are considered one of australia's flagship parks you know at the same time you do feel like you should still be held up to a global standard and i'm curious as to whether or not fright nights actually meets that standard I'll let Matt go first because I actually have quite a strong opinion on the subject, but I don't want to sway Matt. So, Matt, thoughts? I'm going to mirror first what Blake has said. Um, Obviously, America takes Halloween a bit more seriously than we do down here. So, obviously, it's going to be a bit more of a, a popular event there. They're going to put a lot more effort into it. But my other thing is that besides the fact that Movie World is smaller, Movie World's got the huge advantage that your options really, if you want like a high-end Halloween experience, is Movie World. There's a few small little things in, in Queensland that are doing like scare mazes and whatnot. But the next closest thing would be jumping on a plane and flying to either Asia or to America to experience something like it. So, they're in a position where I think they can do what they want, charge what they want. And it's at the end of the day going to be cheaper than flying overseas to experience something better. For me, Fright Nights was getting better every single year. And then someone somewhere had the smart idea of combining mazes in the same building and that's where things went sour for me. I felt that instead of focusing on quality, we got quantity and that was most certainly a drawback. I I remember a point where I was walking through mazes and I thought the same thing that when I walked through the ones at Universal, which was I feel like I'm actually wherever the maze is trying to take you. But now I just see skinny corridors with some theming and it's not the same. So I think Fright Nights in the current year, I mean, again, I haven't seen what they're doing this year, but I can only assume it's going to be similar, is definitely much, much worse than what you'd see overseas. But there was a point that Movie World was seriously stepping it up and there was some very amazing themes going into the mazes now pulling it off but yes now not so much yeah i definitely agree with what you said there i think it was for the longest time it was on a very rapid upward 
trajectory. I think the first Fright Nights I ever attended, I think, was back in either 2008 or 2009. And it was tiny compared to what Fright Nights eventually became over the course of the 10 years. But I do feel it reached a peak. And I think that peak was 2016, 2017. And it started waning in its quality in those last couple of years, obviously before the pandemic hit. Look, I mean, with the increased prices, the decreased offerings that aren't mazes, perhaps we're going to see some sort of rejuvenation of the mazes and their outlook. But I guess time will only tell. Well, like I said, I think this is very much a a testing ground as to whether or not Fright Nights are still viable in a post-COVID world where people are very conscious about other people being in close proximity of them. You know, obviously they could never have done the scare mazes during the pandemic. Like when you have to have your hands on the other person's shoulders in front of you, you know, that just completely violates all social distancing policies unless you sanitize sanitize the shoulders in front of you (laughs) and wear masks (laughs) could you imagine all the scare actors still wearing masks i think for some themes it might actually work better but yes yeah it would work in their favor (laughs) like if it was like a hospital theme or something 100 percent, i could totally see that but look i'm keen to go to check it out i mean i'm very fortunate that i'm in the position where i never stopped paying for my village roadshow membership so i'm still at least as far as I'm aware, still entitled to a free ticket to Fright Nights. So I'm keen to go and give it a shot, give it the benefit of the doubt, even though that my past experiences haven't been the greatest, and judge it on its own merit. 100%. I feel like now's a good time to switch over, you know, because we are talking about the past and Fright Nights of yesteryear. We should talk about the Gold Coast attractions that we miss. Matt, did you want to take us a little bit through that one? All right. Um, So, for those who aren't aware, I run the MIDI theme parks page. So, on my Instagram, I've been doing tournaments where I've been grabbing 10 to 20 of something and making a category and then having um, a tournament bracket. So, I did one um, not too long ago, about two weeks ago now, for which previous Gold Coast attraction would you bring back? I put down, I think it was about 12 or 13 attractions, listed them from in my personal opinion, best to worst, let the tournament bracket generate itself. And then uh, we had daily polls to knock out each one until we got our top 10. So I've got the top 10 in front of me. Now, number one, I think is something enthusiasts love, but I personally, I don't think it is the best previous Gold Coast attraction that we have. But what are your thoughts before we actually get into it? Can I just say that there's a lot of Dreamworld here? Like there's a lot of Dreamworld centric stuff. Now, either that's saying one thing, Dreamworld's removed a lot of rides or all the rides that they've removed people loved and all the rides Movie World removed people didn't care for. Bit of both perhaps, but I thought that was an interesting takeaway. Yeah. I definitely think uh, Dreamworld takes a cake when it comes to removing rides, especially in these past couple of years. That was almost an inevitability. I do have some thoughts about how the top 10 resulted. I don't necessarily agree with it, but I will hold my peace until we reveal. All right, let's go through the number 10, Matt. Well, before I jump into the number 10, I want to mention the honorable mentions that didn't make the list, which honestly surprised me. So, Batman Adventure didn't make the list. It was knocked out. 
yeah, that one absolutely should have. <laughs> I don't know why that one did not make the list, considering it was better than the ride that replaced it as well. Yeah, it should have been much higher. Are you talking about the original Batman Adventure or Adventure the Ride 2? Look, I just combined them together. Oh, okay. My understanding was it was just the movie that changed. It was it was is there a difference in the pre-show? The original ride was based on Batman Returns, the Tim Burton film, and it actually had the original actors and sets and all that stuff. And it, I think it was around about 2001 when they replaced the film and the pre-show. Like, you still went into the Batcave, but the film and everything that you watched was completely different. Hmm. Interesting. Right. And for those that want to watch the original one, I believe you can still watch it in German? Can you? On YouTube. Yeah, I believe so. It is on YouTube. It's quite grainy in quality, at least from the one that I watched, unless there's a different version. But yeah, it is in German because the one at Movie Park Germany, which was basically a clone of Warner Brothers Movie World, they had the original Batman Adventure of the Ride for much, much longer than what Australia did. Yeah, the German park definitely hung on to some. Well, they kind of expanded further. So I felt like they both expanded and also hung on to rides a little bit longer and had a weird mix match of they had the Bermuda Triangle, didn't they? Or their own version, which was like Alien something. Yes, yep. they did. Yep. They oh, still do. They still do. Okay, well, there you go. So that one, the Batman Adventure, lost to the Corkscrew, uh, funnily mm. enough. It was a close one okay, still. Okay, it's an interesting one. Now, the other honourable mention is Gremlins that lost to Thunderbolt. And that was quite a landslide. Um, most of the votes went to Thunderbolt. I can't see anyone. I, I That one, okay, I, I don't get that. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're going to have to agree to disagree on that one because I totally understand why Thunderbolt won out that one. And... I'll elaborate on that once we've revealed the list. Cool. The other honorable mention, which I don't know if we're going to edit this out or not, um, is Thunder River Rapids. And that one didn't actually make the tournament, obviously, given its past. I didn't want that to influence its opinion. Mm. I think it needs to be said that it was, issues aside, it was a good ride. The Rapids, uh, in any park they're at, seem to have a, a fantastic both on-ride and off-ride experience. People enjoy getting splashed. People enjoy the the fact that every ride is a little bit different. So I, I can totally, and it was actually my addition, I actually said, hey, that was a good ride. Of course, it in the end, it wasn't a great design and, and there were certain issues with it, which obviously won't hopefully ever happen again in any park. But Yes, I, I think for what it's worth, it was a, a good ride and offered a, a unique experience. Yeah, no, I agree. I think it was an excellent ride. Unfortunately, the circumstances that led to its closure are far from ideal in, in any park, but it definitely was a great ride. And I think, unfortunately, it dragged just the very nature of a River Rapids ride down in general um, for the general public. I don't think it's a ride that we'll probably ever see again in Australia. Yes, I will agree with that. So, Matt, any other honourable mentions that you think maybe were missed or are you pretty happy with the top 10 and also those three honourable mentions? I'm pretty happy with that. I can't think of anything else, really. I guess there are. There's things like the train and stuff, potentially the monorail at SeaWorld, but that hasn't been announced yet um, as anything official. But is there anything that you guys think is missing from the list before we jump into the top 10? Chairlift at SeaWorld. <laughs> and Police Academy stunt show. Yep, yep. Police Academy, definitely up there, actually, now that you mention it. I would even chuck Maverick in there, too. Maverick was a great show. I feel like Maverick was a little bit before everyone's time, at least the bulk of the average age of 
the theme park enthusiasts that listen to our show and follow Matt. For me, I never saw Maverick. I only recently saw it on a YouTube video thanks to... I forgot the channel, but I've linked it on the page. So thanks to that person, because without that, I wouldn't know what Maverick was. So are we ready to go into our top 10? I think so. Alrighty. Well, number 10, uh, another water-based ride at Dream of the Rocky Hollow Log Ride. What did that lose out to? Because I think that ride was terrible. I don't know if when it first opened, it had theming and interest, but in its later years, and I'm talking probably 07 onwards, it was a piece of poo in my mind. So... I definitely do not see the appeal of that whatsoever. It lost to the Eureka Mine Ride. Yeah, that goes without saying. I mean, I have a very strong sentimental attachment towards both of those rides. But the Log Ride, I know in particular, that was one of my first big attractions that I got to ride as a kid because it pretty much had like next to no height restriction. And especially if you're like accompanied by an adult, it was totally fine. And it was an adventure, You know, you went through the tunnels and you had the big splashdown at the end. And in its heyday, the presentation of it was great, but it got neglected over time. It became dilapidated. They chucked a dinosaur statue in one of the tunnels for a period of time for whatever reason. Yeah, it was definitely a ride that fell from grace over time. Yeah, right. Uh, Well, number nine is the Wipeout. Oh, the ride that they moved to SeaWorld. Yeah, Vortex 1.0. <laughs> the original Vortex. <laughs> the old whirly, like you could hear it throughout the park. It made so much noise. I never went on it. Wasn't game enough to go on it. But did you guys miss it? No. Wipeout, again, is... Yeah, I have a lot of fond memories going on Wipeout, especially when they had the original water effects. You know, you had Fluffy the shark circling underneath you, and then you also had the geysers, the water jets. And... Again, it was just another ride that got neglected. They did spruce it up back in 2014. I believe they brought some of the water effects back, but they were running the shorter ride cycles. And I just remember going to the park. There were only seating guests on one side, and you could tell that it was on its last legs. It was a slow death. Yeah, it very was. It was on life support. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. That one lost out, believe it or not, to Vikings Revenge. Not by much. Only by a few percent. But number eight is the Eureka Mine Ride. So, the one that beat out the log ride. And I personally, it was janky. It was rough. But I think it was great. I got excited when there was that very small, small chance that they were going to reopen it. I remember them doing their test runs on it. And then they removed the structure of the um, mountain on the outside to test to see if it was viable. But unfortunately, it wasn't. But what do you guys think? Oh, this should be way higher. Way, way, way higher. I'm talking like top three. I would actually put it number two. Any particular reason why? It was just an excellent ride. Like, how often do you get to experience a wild mouse coaster that has no trims the whole way down? And because of that, it was just absolutely insane, especially when you hit the second half of the ride after you do the station flyover and go back into the mountain. That whole section was just nuts. Yeah, no, it definitely was an excellent ride. I don't think it met code to anything, but it was pretty good. Oh, God, no. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely no way. I feel like when they were testing it, the test dummy came back with like a missing arm and they're like, yeah, probably best. (laughs) probably best and i always remember a bit of a controversial story surrounding it it was around the time as you said when there were 
testing the ride to see if it was viable to bring it back and remember that guy that snuck in and took all those photos yes i think they're still on youtube (laughs) yeah yeah he made a video oh how did he get in there does anyone know I know how he got in. He climbed through the exit. They had blocked it off, but they hadn't blocked the whole doorway off. They just put a fence there and and he just climbed the fence and he just walked straight in. Oh my gosh. And then within a week or two, Dreamworld completely boarded up the door. (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't surprise me. (laughs) See, they do listen to feedback. (laughs) Uh, Well, that one there lost out massively to Tower of Terror. That was about... 20% 20% to 80% for that one. So, landslide for Tower of Terror. I could definitely see that happening. The Tower of Terror has a massive cult fan base. Like, to this day, you go on the Dreamworld Facebook page or whatever, and every single post that they make is the comments are just littered with, bring the Tower of Terror back. And it's just, I don't know if they're being sincere or if they're just trolling. It's not coming back. <laughs> yeah. No chance. Like, the one in America is hanging on, following the same trajectory that I think Wipeout is. Everyone knows it's not going to last that much longer, but we'll see. Now, number seven, Vikings Revenge. I don't have a lot to say about this ride. I only went on it a handful of times. It definitely was better when Bermuda Triangle was still there and it went through the volcano a little bit. And then after Bermuda Triangle got replaced with Storm, they had to reprofile the beginning portion of the ride and made it a very, very short attraction. It was just basically you go around in a loop, you drop down, you're done. So I'm very surprised that that ranked higher than Eureka Mountain and the Wipeout. Yeah, I don't disagree. I'm surprised that it ranked higher than those ones. But what are your thoughts, Ash? Look, to be honest with you, I think both log rides were pretty tame and pretty boring. At least in the later years when I actually started going on rides, I remember very little theming, no story, and just a very slow trek through a very unappealing area. I think Vikings Revenge I preferred because it it actually took you somewhere. I remember Dreamworld just sort of going through some grass and trees. It, It was nothing really special about it. Whereas at least Vikings Revenge, you got a little bit of a view of SeaWorld when you're above the castle. So... For me, I would agree that it's better than the Rocky Hollow Log Ride, but I definitely wouldn't be including it this far up the list, if at all, in the top 10. Yeah, right. Number six is Thunderbolt. Never did it. Can't comment. (laughs) Yeah, same. This is the biggest crime on this list. This should be number one. Yeah. Absolutely. You know how I said Eureka Mountain was my number two? Thunderbolt's my number one. Why though, Blake? I mean, what what did we miss? Just a classic looping coaster. That was painful. It was painful, but it was a rite of passage, damn it. (laughs) (laughs) I can get people having fond memories and all of that because I totally buy into that with my own, I guess, top 10. But I feel like a good pub test is like if you installed these coasters or these rides today, are they good? And I feel like if you installed the Thunderbolt today, you would not think it was very good. That's my thoughts, and that's why I don't think it should be, at least shouldn't be number six. Oh, look, if you were to bring Thunderbolt back exactly as it was when it was removed back in 2003, 2004, it definitely wouldn't be popular. It wouldn't attract any crowds or anything. I definitely have a very nostalgia, sentimental attachment to it. You know, it was my first looping coaster, and it was a ride that I idolized. It was like the ride that got me into 
roller coasters and being a theme park enthusiast. And I had a very relatively short height restriction. You only had to be 1.2 meters. So I think the first time I went on it, I was only like six years old. Oh, wow. As soon as I hit that height restriction, I was like, bam, I want to go on this. And yeah, it was rough. And being that short, I just got completely battered in the over the shoulder restraints, which were not very well padded. But there's just something about a classic looping roller coasters, especially the ones that, um, you know, like the old Schwarzkopf loopers. That wasn't a Schwarzkopf. That was a Misho, uh, which was a Japanese manufacturer. But they, the way that they manufactured their loops were very similar. They were quite circular and therefore very, very intense. And you just don't get that with roller coasters these days. I mean, I would love to see a modern adaptation of thunderbolt or any kind of classic looping like a schwarzkopf looper and i think that's why i would put that at my number one yeah Yeah. okay fair (laughs) i mean for me number five some people may not agree with but i certainly miss it Uh, number five honestly i think should be top three and that's the looney tunes river ride i mean australia's longest running dark ride would you is it the longest running I mean, it'd be up there. I mean, Eureka Mine Ride came back for one day for testing, so. (laughs) I think the good thing about Looney Tunes was in a park-like movie world, it was a great escape from the sun. Yeah. Very rarely do you get to sit down for a decent amount of time on a ride and actually just relax. And that was the thing for me, that, and that's why I loved the ride so much. And it was a real people eater. They used to send in massive groups on that ride. They had, like... I don't think it was like 20 boats or whatever, but they had a lot of boats and they would pump people through constantly. There was there was still a line, but I remember by the end of it, it was literally a walk-on. It's like the E.T., I think, of Movie World. It's kind of that level ride. I mean, it's got the the fans, it's got the people that just love it, it's got the people that go on because it's got no weight, it's escaped from the sun, so... Yeah, I feel like it is definitely a shame that Movie World removed it because what replaced it is never going to go on a list like this whatsoever. I still don't understand why they got rid of it entirely. Like, they just couldn't use the same track and just revamped it, you know, put new effects in. Because it was very animatronic-based. I know animatronics can be quite temperamental in their reliability. And I, I could imagine that as the years went by, more and more effects just became broken and just didn't do anything until it got to the point where they're just like, ah, let's just chuck it in the bin. But I don't know. Or maybe it's because uh, have the Looney Tunes lost their relevancy? I don't think so. No? No, I think they're still pretty heavily used in the park, the Looney Tunes. Yeah, I feel like it was more just a, another short-sighted decision by Village to to remove something and not really think through what's replacing it. I feel like at the time, the idea of the kids driving school was probably like, wow, that's an amazing idea. I don't believe there was a huge amount of uh, maybe thought that went into it or truly they, for whatever reason, maybe the ride required expensive maintenance or bring it up to code and it just went and we got what I can only describe as a temporary ride. I don't think... I mean, no disrespect, but I have to say that no one is seriously going to be going to Movie World for Junior's Driving. It is a filler attraction at best. No, I agree. I think, you know, this is a hot take. I reckon if we were in the positions today where we had Looney Tunes and it was in the state it was in, the park wouldn't get rid of it. I mean, look at Wild West. 
No, the projector mapping and things like that, surely. <laughs> I think they've learned from their mistakes of Looney Tunes River Ride and Bermuda and getting rid of those was a, as a big mistake in my eyes and probably in theirs. I feel like Bermuda at least got, I mean, I don't love Storm, but I feel like at least with that, it's a similar caliber ride. And that to me is an improvement in some respect. But Ginger Driving School, it is just. Yeah, so <laughs> maybe I shouldn't go too far into this. I might get too upset. <laughs> uh, number four is the Sea Viper slash the Corkscrew. Yeah, it definitely belongs on the list. I just don't think it belongs number four, but it was a great coaster. And again, no lines usually. So, you know, in a park like SeaWorld, a coaster with no lines or a coaster of any sorts in this day would be nice to have. It definitely served its purpose in the park at SeaWorld. It was SeaWorld's flagship attraction for literally decades. And for what it was, it, which was just a arrow loop screw coaster, it was a really enjoyable ride. You know, it was a short and sweet attraction. It was quite smooth for the longest time. And then they decided to get rid of the old trains and put those god-awful comeback trains on them. And it killed the ride. Yeah, it is definitely interesting that the trains were the kiss of death for it. Same for Arkham Asylum, which we haven't heard about yet. No, because it's the next one on the list. Number three, Arkham Asylum slash Lethal Weapon. Good riddance. (laughs) (laughs) That one was a rough boy. It was a really good coaster. Like, it was a high thrill coaster. And it's something that I think the park's now sort of missing. But I don't personally miss it. What did it lose out to? Um, Arkham Asylum? Yeah. Lost out to Bermuda Triangle. Mm, Okay. Yeah, but that was a close one as well. Yeah, Arkham Asylum, again, another instance where if they had bought the Vacoma trains as opposed to the comeback trains, there could have been a possibility that Arkham Asylum would still be standing right now. I do understand that the structure itself... I believe was reported to have like hairline fractures or something like that to the point where it was just like, this is unsalvageable. Whether that was caused by the crappy train, I don't know. But with that being said, though, that train did improve the ride experience because it did get rid of the head banging. And I didn't mind the Arkham Asylum theming. I remember the Lethal Weapon theming quite well. And It wasn't so much as a ride, but as like a whole experience, because I remember to get to the ride, you'd have to go through this back alleyway from Main Street and walk between two sound stages, and they decorated it to Chinatown. And the queue line, you had the big courtyard area, and then you went into the theater and you watched a scene from Lethal Weapon 2 before you were escorted out the back and you went through the car yard and you saw all the stacks of cars. It was more than just a ride. It was like a full walkthrough experience almost before you actually went on the coaster itself. And the coaster itself, the Vekoma SLC, like in terms of its layout, it's a great ride. It's just, unfortunately, they've just aged terribly all across the world. And Lethal Weapon slash Arkham Asylum was no exception to that. The theming of it was truly excellent in both iterations. I never got to see the pre-ride video, so it's something I missed out on. But even without that, I think Lethal Weapon was excellently themed. It's interesting uh, that Comeback have made trains for two coasters that have arguably killed them. And I wonder how that's impacted their performance in selling trains. Well, you don't really hear from them. At least I haven't heard from them since 
Sea Viper in Arkham Asylum. Perhaps they'll come back one day. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I guess number two and one. Matt, what's, what's next on the list? Well, we already know one of them. I think we already know <laughs> both of them. But uh, number two is Bermuda Triangle. Bermuda Triangle is a very historically significant ride. And I don't think many people know this. But it opened up as Lassiter's Lost Mine, I think, in 1988. And when that ride opened, Disney, of all people, were completely gobsmacked as they couldn't believe how cheaply they built that ride and the quality of the theming and the sets that were featured on that attraction to make Disney stop in their tracks and say, we would have spent 10 times more to get a similar result, I think is a pretty outstanding achievement. And I guess if you fast forward to the days of Justice League and things like that, it it is disappointment that we've not progressed on the same sort of incline of uh, improvements over the years. But anywho, that's probably a conversation for another day. And I wonder when that ride goes, whether we'll be missing it. (laughs) Yeah. Will it make this list? For what it's worth, the theming is good. I actually do appreciate that ride. I think it's let down by its ride, the actual ride type. Hmm. But going back to Bermuda Triangle, though, because I didn't say much about the ride itself, I remember being terrified of it as a kid. And because it did get the re-theme, I think, in 1994. And I think I wrote it about a year or two later after that happened. And they still had the eruption coming out of the volcano. And as you went up that final conveyor bell up for the final drop all the fire effects would just start lighting up and it got so hot in there i always remember that and just other things too like the pepper's ghost effect of the spaceship disappearing as well as you go through the room where all the aliens have captured all the airplanes and the missiles and they're using all the parts to build the spaceship so they can fly back to their home planet that was like a cool concept I agree. I think the theming was next level. The storytelling was next level. It's not something we get to see much anymore. To Ash's point, Storm is an excellent replacement, but how good would it have been if Storm had a short pre-ride section that had the tiniest amount of detail that Bermuda Triangle had? I think it was a design fault to have the story, maybe you shouldn't say story, the theming after the main drop of the ride. There's so much more to a ride when you build up as opposed to have like boom and then I oh, here's some story and theming and stuff like that. I, I definitely think it was built around the wrong way. That was never an issue for me. I think the issue that I have with Storm Coaster, what Storm Coaster is lacking, is a pre-show. That ride begs for a pre-show and they just didn't do it. You just walk in the queue line and I believe they changed the queue line inside the building now. So it's just like a massive bullpen. And I don't know, it just kind of takes the whole charm and immersion away from it. Like if they, that was one of the cool things about Bermuda Triangle 2 was its pre-show. The pre-show was excellent. Yeah, yeah. it was. It was cheesy, but it was excellent. <laughs> I think in the current years of ride design, I think the secret to a good pre-show is... Something that is relatively timeless, but something people can walk past. And I, I must admit, I appreciated Arkham Asylum's retheme because I kind of got a solid story, even though I didn't have to endure it every single time. I could kind of walk fast past it. I actually give credit to the Movie World creative team for that. I really 
liked the Q line of Arkham Asylum. I think it's probably one of the best I've seen in Australia and it's not necessarily on the same scale, but like something like Harry Potter where you can kind of build in and see a bit of a story as you're walking through. You don't have to stop and watch a five-minute-long video, for example. You do make a good point that the pre-show, as much as I still love the pre-show for Bermuda Triangle, it was quite exposition-heavy. And if you didn't watch the pre-show, you would have been scratching your head on the ride thinking, what the heck is going on? I don't understand it. Why is this woman appearing up on these projectors and she turns into (laughs) an alien and then flies away? (laughs) Um, Moving on to uh, number one. Does anyone want to guess before I say it? Well, I'm staring at it on the list, so don't ask me. Yeah, same. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, true. Wait a second. I will say I was disappointed to hear it get replaced, but I'm very excited to ride the Guardians of the Galaxy replacement. Oh, Oh, no, you're doing that. Ash is getting confused with Disney. I get it. (laughs) I get it. Yeah. Well, on that note, um, number one (laughs) is Tower of Terror. I can definitely understand why this won this little tournament. I feel like there's a, a lot of diehard fans out there for Tower of Terror, at least in Australia. And it was a milestone ride. You know, it was the fastest, tallest ride in the world for two months <laughs> before <laughs> Superman The Escape opened. And it definitely put Dreamworld on the map on an international scale. It was heading in a direction where... If things had just panned out a little bit differently, Dreamworld would have been like this juggernaut of a theme park, I think. Because pretty much in back-to-back years, you saw installments of the Tower of Terror and the Giant Drop. No one had seen anything like that. It topped out at, I think, 375 feet or something like that, which is... I always thought it was over 400 feet, but apparently not. And it also incorporated this technology that had never been used in the industry before, you know, magnetic launches. I mean, well, it had been used, but it had been used in a different method. It's where LSMs got their start. And now LSMs are the default launch method for roller coasters. And it all started with the Tower of Terror. I will say, I think to Blake's point, I will give the ride credit for the fact that it truly was envelope pushing. And even in its later years, I did enjoy the ride experience. However, no one could say that it wasn't loud (laughs) or obnoxious. Especially if you're walking under it. A hundred percent. It also divided the park. So, it was obnoxious. It was ugly. It was loud. It broke down a lot. I could tell it cost a lot in terms of, you know, it, it was an expensive ride to operate, you know, even maintenance issues aside. And also it was one of those rides that like technically on paper is like envelope pushing, but in practice you're like, oh, it doesn't actually go that high. You know, it, it's a pretty short ride for what it offers and it was super slow loading. So it had a huge amount of downsides, but yes, I, I will absolutely concede it was envelope pushing and, it, and especially in its heyday it was amazing for what it did. But I think it was one of those ones. It's like a sitcom. It, it was time for it to go in potentially a little bit long in the tooth, but still went in a, in a pretty positive light. Yeah, it was a one-trick pony. It was built purely to break records, and it was almost as a means for Interman as a company to say, check this out. This is what we can do now. 
what has everyone else got? You got nothing on us. I feel like it was almost kind of like a um, demonstration of uh, what they could achieve rather than just making a, a quality attraction that would have longevity in its lifespan. Like, I don't think anyone thought that the Tower of Terror was going to be around for another 20 years or whatever, especially since it was a maintenance nightmare. You know, it had constant downtime and it was a power hog. You know, I always remember on the Dreamworld website, you could go on a little fact sheet about things about Dreamworld and it would always say every time the Tower of Terror launches, the power consumption in the park doubles. It's like, damn, that's a lot of power. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It would have cost them a lot. I feel like back when it opened, that was a cool thing. Whereas nowadays, it's like, that is very irresponsible. So, but, you know, at the end of the day, I think it was a really good ride in its day. It definitely was. And I think it definitely deserves top three. I I wouldn't put it number one, but I'm not going to dispute that it doesn't. You know, if, if that's what people vote for, I will happily go along with it. It's definitely worthy of being where it is on the list. Yeah, it was certainly unique. Switching it around, I think, made it better, but probably also brought it towards its death as well. Um, It seemed to get quite rough when it switched around, but that also could just be due to the age of the ride as well. Yeah, I do remember it being a little bit jerky. I can't remember if it was like that beforehand. Wait, who made the train for it? Was it Comeback? (laughs) (laughs) No, it was Intamin. But my understanding was, now this is pure speculation. I have no sources to back this up but this is all just come through word of mouth but the theory is is that when Intamin were approached to upgrade the Tower of Terror not only did they create the new train which reduced the weight of the train by a whole metric ton wow yeah yeah so the original train weighed six ton and they managed to get it down to five with the new train But on top of that, they also wanted to upgrade the launch mechanism, the LSM. And Dreamworld only bought the train. So, it was still using the old launch mechanism with the new train. And therefore, that's why you had that jankiness when it came back down the tower into the tunnel and headed towards the station. Whereas, I believe the, you know, its sister... Uh, over at Six Flags Magic Mountain, I don't think suffered the same issues because I believe that at Six Flags Magic Mountain, they got the full package. They bought the new trains and they also upgraded the launch mechanism. I will say that I I believe the the one at Six Flags Magic Mountain does go a lot higher. And I remember riding it and going, wow, this is really good. So I would concur that what Blake's saying is potentially not a crackpot theory, but I haven't... uh, I guess there's no one to prove that, but it sounds right. There was another theory that was floating around too where, and this is a perfect example of how, for better or for worse, I guess, that safety legislation in Australia is much stricter than it is in, say, the United States. Because when they flipped the car around, they could only launch it backwards so fast as... Under the Queensland legislation, you can only have a certain amount of negative acceleration, which is acceleration going backwards. And that's obviously to prevent people from getting whiplash or any kind of like back or neck injuries. Yeah, right. I will say when I went on that, I did kind of worry that it was going to like jerk me too much forward. 
But yeah, it was kind of, I guess it was fast, but I think it was what, six seconds it took to get to full speed. So it was never that jolt like you get on Superman. That's true. That's true. But it's a different launch. Yeah. But don't take what I say literally. Like this is all alleged. I have absolutely no evidence to back this up. This is all pure speculation and word of mouth of just things that I've heard throughout the years. Actually, I think the the, the legislation thing I actually heard from a write-up. Can I be honest with you? This entire show don't take as gospel. <laughs> Do your own research, please. Please don't sue us, Arden Leisure. <laughs> I, I will say that, look, I appreciate you getting that data for us, Matt. That was an interesting time. It honestly brought back some memories, good and bad. Well, I'll do some more. If anyone has any ideas for any tournaments that I could run on my page, definitely, you know, let us know and you can even get involved and leave your comments and we'll, we'll have you involved in the show. I would love to go through some of the small things and I know this is a topic for another night. We are so over time, but I would like people to bring back memories of some of the small things that they remember from the parks and loved. Like, for example, Breakfast with the Stars that actually used to be a thing. Like little things like that bring back memories and it made for me the sentimental part what it is today so maybe that's another segment we should do in a future episode let us know on facebook or send us an email if you want to see that segment eventuate but guys what did you think of tonight's episode do you have a good time we still have one more segment to do later on to be honest with you it's uh an hour and a half in or an hour and 40 minutes i'm gonna say that six flags is probably gonna be an episode of its own but we'll have to see yeah we might have to shelve it for another day we'll see how long this episode turns out i've got to edit this (laughs) (laughs) if you take it down to usable segments you might get 20 minutes so maybe we'll have enough time (laughs) oh you know what would be a really good idea for another tournament matt what best ride commercials oh yes i'm already thinking of a few right now mm-hmm. that you can even ride it backwards i think i like what's in the shed <laughs> matt's not gonna know about that <laughs> no i'm like what's going on there all right let's wrap this up because i gotta go to bed i'm bugged <laughs> yeah same <laughs> anyway guys thank you for joining me it was a good Just episode. I, I definitely enjoyed the um, trip down memory lane. And I think next episode, we have to make sure we get a jungle for quick bits. What do you say? <laughs> jungle. <laughs> Blake, how are people going to send us feedback? Good or bad? Well, you can contact us on our social media platforms. Facebook is our primary one. But we're looking at getting a, uh, or do we already have an Instagram page? We have an Instagram. I just have to remember the passwords. So (laughs) watch this space. (laughs) Maybe just leave your comments on Facebook for now. But if you do have any suggestions on topics that you would like us to discuss in the next episodes or any future upcoming episodes, leave them in the comments. We will read them and take them on board. And Matt, what can people do to convince you to fly up for Fright Nights? Is there anything people could do to just get you over the edge? Maybe if someone threw in a free night at a luxurious farm stay camp tent? I think I'm going to make a big ask here. Either the SeaWorld gives us an opening date for Leviathan or I get breakfast with the stars, but the stars include Bikash and Clark. So, breakfast with the execs and you'll come up for Fright Nights. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. 
Let's make this happen. I will say for a number of years, I was trying to get Park Chat to be a coupon code on the website. Even if it didn't give you a discount, I just wanted it acknowledged <laughs> on the website. <laughs> Who, so, I don't like your that? chances, but well, I thought someone would do it. Like just, just for <laughs> shits and gigs, can I say that? Just be like, here's a cent discount. Good job. <laughs> anyway, folks, thanks again for joining us for another episode of Park Chat. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook. Send us your thoughts and your suggestions for future episodes. Until next month, we'll see you later. See ya. See ya.